Hey, what's going on, guys? It's just after 2 o'clock, so we'll just give it a minute or two. If you hear background noise, if you hear birds, it's because I'm actually laying down on my deck, doing this from my deck, laying on a couch, enjoying some sun, but uh, we'll get started in a minute, yeah. Usually we do this at 1 p.m. on Fridays, or 1 p.m. my time, but I had to put it back an hour. Hopefully uh, <clears throat> it doesn't mess with anyone's schedule. Hopefully you guys are doing well. All right, let's get started. I see a bunch of people coming in. See some familiar faces. Just give me some thumbs up to uh, signal to me that the sound is good because I do have, a, I, I'm wearing my new headphones. Cool. All right, sound is good. All right, so thanks for uh, thanks for joining. I had two streams in the last week on YouTube. I hopped on on Tuesday and yesterday, and I followed those up with call-ins right after the stream. So I think it's, um, well, one, you know, shout out to the guys at Colin, David Sachs, um, for for giving me an opportunity to join them and to host this. Um, Colin is now available on all major platforms, so... In the beginning, it was just the iPhone. Now it's Android. Now it's the web. And you could access this from Spotify and Apple. Uh, and they're all recorded. They're all recorded. And I think there's a transcript as well. Um, I'll double check that. But it's a great platform. So shout out to them. Um, I think it's it's good to integrate this with my streams. So, you know, the streams will be cut. They'll be a little bit shorter. Sometimes streams used to run like over two hours, which is just, it's actually kind of exhausting. Um, now I, have obviously been working on my own, uh, as a, a trader on my own now for, for years, there's a lot of people that are working on their own now, or rather work, I, I should have said working from home, um, that are working from home now. And, and they've been doing like online conferencing more and zoom sessions. And there's something that you get when you're on a session, whether it's a zoom or doing a live stream, it's like just this incredible fatigue for just going on for, for hours and especially a stream because you're just kind of, you know, you're talking to a computer. I mean, you see the chat, but you know, you're just constantly putting out content, um, talking for two hours straight. It, it just gets tiring. Um, so it's nice to follow that up like a shorter, more abbreviated stream. And then to do the call in, because what I've noticed is the attendance is higher. People come right off the stream they hop on the call and, you know, we have a, a brief intermission. Um, and then they're able to ask questions that are, are relevant from the stream, things that we just went over, things that are fresh. Uh, and all the streams now are followed up with a summary by 17-bidding, and he does a phenomenal job of summarizing the streams and, and, and really capturing the, um, the meat of the streams. Keeps it to the point, which I like. No, no fluff. Trades to the point. Everyone wants the answers, right? Everyone wants to know exactly what I'm doing, how I'm thinking. Um, so yeah, these are these are going to be three days a week now. So I was doing it every Friday, but now right after the streams, so it'll be around two fifteen, two thirty. We'll have the call in, and then again the Fridays will be consistent as well. So now you have me three days a week, and and this is this is something that I promised, and I'm fulfilling my end of the bargain because during the bull market I kept saying because I wanted to stream, I wanted to do things like this, and I kept saying. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start doing it now. And then like a week later, I'd fall out of sync and the market is just 
the market is definitely, you know, capturing the majority of my attention. And imagine ca- capturing the majority of your attention as well. And I kept saying, when we have a bear market and it's, we're, you know, in the doldrums, then I will, uh, I promise that I'll give back and put out more content. And that's what we're doing. Keeping my end of the bargain. So I will disappear as soon as the market completely recovers, but I'll always be in your heart, right? No, I won't completely disappear, but I think you get, uh, you catch my drift. All right. So um, again, appreciate all of you tuning in. It looks like we have a decent amount of attendance today. I love to see that. These are becoming more popular. Um, so it's an open discussion, right? We're not, uh, we don't have to abide by any topic. I know crypto is more exciting now, but we could, we could stray. Um, again, none of this is financial advice. This is just the lens that I look at the world through. And uh, that's that. I mean, it's an AMA, right? And open discussion. So feel free to take it wherever you want. Um, I'm I'm gonna and last thing I'm going to figure out a way to where we could open these up to people that want to consistently talk, and then there'll be a bunch of us on uh, rather than me just kind of addressing individuals one by one. So I want it to be more of an open feeling, sort of like Twitter Spaces, but it's better, right? Um, so just a few things. Um, so obviously yesterday was a pretty big day. We hit somewhere right above 25. I think that might have been. I don't think we broke 25 on any relevant exchange. So a big day, huge day in terms of volume. And it it not only feels like the beginnings of capitulation from a volume standpoint, but from a from, you know, a timeline feedback standpoint as well. People are pretty morose. Although I would say that it went from a relatively grim outlook to a positive outlook pretty quickly today. But that is how markets are, right? That's how people are. And if you're focusing too much on social media, that's why you could get thrown off. So we had major volume. We broke, by all means, the most significant structural level on the chart of the last year. We haven't continued to puke down, but we haven't reclaimed the level yet. You know, we're in a, we were in a multi, we were in, you know, over a quarter long, uh, and it was like, you know, one quarter and, and two months long range. We finally broke to the downside, got the full expansion out of that, which is expected, right? Because you're range bound, you're establishing value within a pretty tight, not a tight region because it was great tradable region. It's pretty wide, but you have, you're confined, right? You know your confines, the highs and lows. Breakthrough, except it means that the move is going to have some kind of, it's going to have some kind of meat behind it. Um, so we got that, broke through that 37 level that I mentioned when I have a ton of liquidity, got the expansion back down to last summer's lows, and we broke those lows as well, right? We haven't had any real, didn't have any immediate follow through. So 2008, when we we broke the lows of that multi-month range, it was way different. Market structure was like this bouncing ball. It was it was like the the physics textbook image of kinetic energy returning to potential energy uh, along that whole support. When we finally broke that level, cleared all those lows, um, every other time we broke and then we quickly respond, you know, it was a quick response back, market quickly recovered. When we finally broke, there was no, it was listless. There was no response. And that the sign of acceptance was that. And the market continued down and put in the lows of 2018, 2019. This is, there's more responsiveness so far. There's more of a, a kickback. Again, as I kept mentioning, you know, we look for signs of acceptance through the low of the range, but it wouldn't be weird for this to continue honestly to move. Let's say it accepted back within the range and then this whole thing to take much longer, right? So you never want to like get too, 
into, you know, you don't want to get yourself wrapped up in an idea of how long things should take because, you know, it might rhyme with history, but it doesn't repeat, you know, the saying history, the mark, you know, history doesn't repeat it, but it often does rhyme. Um, so being that the market hasn't com- continued to just puke and sentiment continued to puke instead of price, um, and we had a very significant amount of volume, you know, we, we hit 25, right? That's a really significant level. But again, it's, it's all contingent on equity. So equities have also bounced, uh, but also equities hit the first level that I mentioned would be the most significant level, which was 38, 39. Um, so we came into two key structural levels. Bitcoin had more of a break, it's higher beta, right? Uh, we have the 200 period weekly that's catching up. So that's good. Um, that could catch up to us. We could come down to it. But I don't want to like get too into the frame of mind that we have to continue much lower. Uh, I think that it's possible that we can, it's possible that you can bottom out between 25 and 30, right? We already got a big move. Like we got to move below last summer's lows back down to 25, right? 25 region. That's pretty extensive. That, that front ran a 24 minor support level that we talked about for the last couple months where I kept saying like, this is like, if you're hanging on to this level, it's very insignificant, but it does exist. Um, it's not like you completely write it off, but again, it's not, it's not substantial, but sure enough, that level was front ran. You know, we saw a a significant amount of supply shift, you know, uh, shift between hands. Um, but again, if, if equities continue to move down, Bitcoin's not holding up. So we're kind of in this limbo right now. This it's not going to be a V shape reversal. So you have people that are buying this move right now towards the highs. Um, it's not going to be a V shape reversal. The, it's more likely to continue to break down if we get that first V-shaped bounce. So instead, what you want to see is that price ranges, consolidates, we form some kind of, a bottom will be taking, it'll take a while. In these conditions, you don't have a V-shaped reversal set up. There's no catalyst for that. There's no major Fed injection of liquidity. In this kind of monetary environment or you know this kind of monetary policy with what the Fed is doing in non-accommodative environment, I should say, uh, bottoms should take long, right? They should be long periods of reaccumulation sideways, you know, inside months, inside value over a longer period of time. So we're just playing it as it goes. I'm focused on the short term. Uh, I think that anywhere from here down to 20 is an area where I, I kept saying, like, just enjoy your summer. You probably just want to set bids. Um, you know, what you could do is if you are very interested in sort of making sure that you tag on at lower prices buy some at market set the remainder with limits and and expect the price will take its time uh unless the fed really comes out and and changes their tone changes their language you know we have the june meeting come up that's june meeting coming up excuse me that's going to be more than likely you're going to see 50 basis points uh, if the markets continue to tank maybe they're going to start softening up but who knows right we just consent we the only thing that we know right now is it's not accommodative. Markets have not priced in things completely. Every time you say that, the market continues to move down. And we haven't even began real QT and, and balance sheet unwind. So we don't even know what the ramifications of that are yet in terms of market impact. Um, they are, you know, they went from being the largest buyer to the largest seller. Other things we're t- talking about, and I'm going to open it up because I'm going on too long. Um, I, I have to, I just realized, you know, because apparently Terra LFG, release their plans for how they're going to kind of try to fix things to some degree. One, there's still roughly $2 billion worth of BTC that's unaccounted for. 
Um, so that is quite interesting. You know, what's happening right now is there's a ton of rumors that are going around. Yesterday, the rumors and some of the chats I'm in, um, I didn't speak about it publicly. These chats are chats I don't want to be, uh, I, I'm not really, um, I can't say too much about. There's people in there that I don't want to dox, but there's a lot of significant rumors passing around yesterday about jump being, you know, jump defaulting, jump capital. Um, Arca being, you know, going under, Galaxy going under. These are all rumors yesterday. Um, and so there's going to be a bunch of rumors flying around about where that Bitcoin is. Uh, what we know is that StableCon, StableCon, whoa, that's a Freudian slip. <laughs> StableCon, um, <laughs> uh, Doquan, that's, that's, that was an interesting moment, um, has not come out and said anything in terms of an apology, just uh, there's some kind of, again, release for what their plans are. Um, I just have to say something. I, I'm a technical-based trader. I wish that I would focus more on the mechanisms behind these individual products, projects rather, because I finally read today the mechanism, and this is embarrassing because, listen, you stay where your area of competence is. You don't want to get into style drift too much because it's very easy to do in this market. There's a lot of different ways you could skin the cat. You see, you know, if you're in a group of people, there's, 20 different ways of approaching the market, um, even in single chats. And it's, you have devs talking and you have people that are technical traders and fundamental traders. Um, so it's, it's easy to sort of try to have an approach for everything, but it's really important that if you find an edge in the market that you just try to hammer that as much as possible, squeeze it for all it's worth. And then if it stops working, go on something next. And if you find other edges in the market, that's great. But during a bull market, you really don't want to try to experiment too much because you want to really swing at the pitches that you're good at hitting to begin with. Um, during a bear market, during periods where there's lulls, maybe that's a good time to work on things. But I looked at the actual mechanism behind how UST and, and Luna worked. And, oh, my God, it reminds me of what I said yesterday about, you know, long-term capital management and when genius failed and, and things being so actually patently obvious to how they might go wrong and how this kind of death spiral could occur. You know, the mechanism in which this this algorithmic stablecoin worked in a falling market where Luna was falling and everything was dropping precipitously, it's almost impossible to expect that the peg would have been kept, right? If UST is dropping and the value is Luna, of Luna is dropping, why would anyone continue? Why would they not cons consider that that would just add to selling pressure in the market? You know, you'd be selling into a, a already selling market. Um, so it makes sense that, I mean, things are so clear in hindsight, but, if, you know, you read it afterward and it's like, holy shit, how did anyone not think that this, the tail risk was not there to begin with? Um, so let me open it up though, guys. I appreciate, appreciate you listening to me ramble and I'm sure we have plenty to talk about. So please, uh, whoever wants to hop on, make sure that you, uh, it might be the, um, maybe it's the, uh, desktop. Apologies if the volume is a little wonky, but yeah, feel free. First person up, please. Don't all rush to to talk. I see some people that were here yesterday. There's sometimes a little lag, but um, and, and again, just to go reiterate things, you know, markets right now at twenty nine five, twenty nine six. Bottoms take time to form. What I want to see from a, a technical standpoint, from a positioning standpoint, you want to see that basis is completely flatlined. You want to see linear futures contracts, those further out tenors, nearing backwardation. Um, you want to see the funding is at least, you know, it's, it's thin right now. So the, the funding mechanism is going to give some false feedback. 
But if things are consistently one-sided, then it's a pretty good indication of positioning. Uh, what we don't have right now, I mean, we had a spot-driven spot sell-off. What we don't have right now is like a, a real big um, kerosene can of, of liquidity to squeeze yet. Um, so open interest we would want to see really develop with the expectations of, of moving down further, rather that the aggressors were sellers. Hey, what's up, Daniel? Let me get you on here. Hey, Hello, up, man? man. How are you doing? You okay? Good, good. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, just on that last point, actually, about uh, wider, um, the longer date futures and the basis um, basically going in backwardation. I've been watching the longer dated futures on FTX um, passively for a few weeks, um, just, just out of interest, really. And the past few days, they've really widened. The spreads have really widened. Um, and you know that, that that to me was quite bizarre given given sentiment so i just wanted your thoughts on that because you touched on it then saying you know it typical capitulation is backwardation but the these are in contango and have been increasingly widening over the past few days which i thought was strange yeah so the first things that i would want to like establish is just the levels of liquidity in those contracts to begin with because like yeah increased actually sorry 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 to interrupt yeah they they, they increased Because, you know, for, sometimes people used to share like the CME further out tenors and it was like, listen, no one's trading the, anything but the front month and the CME, the, the shape of the futures curve doesn't really mean anything. Um, mm. But so it's important to know like the levels of participation in those contracts. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a quick check of open interest. Um, one thing that I would say is like if that happens and, and it's not something I, I didn't even I, I didn't check the last time I was looking at basis, things were like 1.5, 2 percent region, which is kind of flat, but it's still in contango. Um, you know, that's an interesting thing to pick up on because if anything off bottoms, right? So let's say that some, you know, larger entities in this market consider that this was the bottom and it's by all means possible that this is a really good area. You know, we're, we're like, uh, I can't, what is it? How far are we off the highs now? Like 55, 60%. So I have to. Yeah. On ETH, ETH is like 60%. I checked ETH okay. this morning. After. So yeah, that's 60%. a really, you know, we're, we're well off the highs, right? And historically we've gone down more with ETH. It's gone down 90%. Yeah. ETC it's what, like 75, 80 something percent. We're really close to levels that were clearly buying opportunities for long term positions. We're really close to that 200 level. The one sort of, you know, again, elf in the room is, is macro right now. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to those longer dated futures contracts, that's interesting because if the spreads widened and, and there is actually an actual pickup in activity, you know, that's those are smarter positions to take long term if you're a long term player, because you don't want to pick up and accumulate any kind of leveraged exposure or exposure in futures contracts over the long term in a perpetual swap. Right. You know, you're going to be paying to carry that for the duration of, you know, it, it's it's a constantly expiring futures contract. Right. Um, again, you know, marked against the index. That's what the funding rate is. So, if if you saw those spreads spreads wide, and that's interesting because sometimes it is, that's it? usually that's one of the things that happens in a pickup off of the bottom because they're getting exposure and they're not paying the sort of decay that you would normally pay. Um, it, because after obviously when the market starts resuming up only the funding rate is going to be it's going to be pretty one-sided right it's going to be mm-hmm. the, the long is going to be consensus it's going to be expensive to hold the long so anyone who wants to hold a position for a long period of time they're not going to use a swap because you're going to have to rebalance it constantly they're going to have to consider that it's going to be eaten over time you know and if you're if you're under collateralized you could technically eat into your 
massive amount into your, into your profits. So that's the smart play to take if you're trying to put on size with leverage is to buy those linear futures contracts. So yeah, it's not, I didn't I didn't observe it. So it's a, a good thing to note, though. Though, yeah, again, and Ether just... picked up more so than, than BTC. So BTC's basis on, on the September contract has widened by like 50 bips. So nothing too notable, but, you know, reasonable over a two, three day period. But he ETH did went, a lot. Yeah, ETH was like 80 bips. Um, so from like 1.2 spread to just over two before. I mean, last night it was at 2.2. So, you know, 100 basis point rise in like a 48 hour period. Um, well, you know what that and... probably is? That's probably people buying. Sorry to interrupt. That that's probably people buying for the merge, right? Getting exposure to that. Mm. Mm. And again, you know, the dan- the danger in that in that is like <clears throat> the merge is a positive. It's going to have a material impact on the market, but it's like where's your starting point? Because that's what really matters when you look at returns over time. It's like where did you get involved, right? If yeah. if it returned 100 percent in the course of the year, it's like well, what? Where did you get involved? Did you get involved when it was you know? up 50 and then dropped another 25 and then it returned hundred for the year, but you didn't capture much. Um, so if you get involved with the wrong area, you might, and I was saying this sort of facetiously a couple of days ago, like you could just very well get back to your entry off the merge, you know, it's, mm. Heath could drop yeah, another. That, <laughs> so I don't want to get too down that like path of like thinking too bearishly though, because it's really easy to get that way. And mm. one thing you have to be careful is, uh, is like when you continue to be that way, but the market doesn't, um, so that's, you know, it's a good thing to pick up on, though. Those little details are, are important. But I still yeah, think I was, that, just, I was I was like, I was struggling in, in, in my head. I was like, is this is this because DGENs are just wanting to get long on, on these futures contracts now? Or is this like a, a, a bottoming sign or, or the opposite? You know, it could be taken two ways. It's kind of a double edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. And, and honestly, you also would have to make sure that the basis widened more than it would normally widen just due to beta. You know, yeah. so ETH is going to move more than BTC, period, right? So you have yeah, to account for that as well and sort of normalize that. Yeah, I, I, I don't, interesting you say that. I don't have that data, but I pulled it off FTX, um, FTX's API before and I'm going to run. I'll share that with you if you want. Uh, once, once <laughs> Do it, man. <laughs> some, some, historic, some historic basis stuff. Um, I appreciate with that. That's the, the, the premiums. Um, there was one other thing, actually. Um, that I wanted to pick your brain on. Uh, and it was more not to do with, with technicals, more to do with just psycho- psychology of trading. Because um, I know you have a long-term view on Bitcoin, so naturally you will be, be leaning bullish. But equally, you, you know, you're very rational in your takes um, and I, I, I have no problem shorting. Um, me, on the other hand, you know, I, I have a long-term view similar to yours on BTC. I, I have made money shorting, but... It, it sometimes is harder for me to commit to a short than it is to a long, uh, and that, that can be quite costly. I was just wondering what your thoughts are with regards to how you overcome that, if at all, or maybe is it just, you know, you, you were a trader pre-crypto, so you just naturally had that instinct. Um, so, yeah, you, your thoughts on that would be really appreciate that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I should just preface it by saying, like, I, I've tried to say it a couple of times, if I'm shorting Bitcoin, a lot of the times, really what it's doing is it's just protecting exposure that I have yeah, that is yeah. long-term. And, yeah. and so I, I would never take a, um, a, a short in excess of the amount of capital that I have exposed yeah. to BTC really, really ever, unless I'm, unless I'm trading like, you know, just outright USDT contracts, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm much, it, and I'm much flatter sort of like May, mm. um, May of last year, there was a brief period where, 
and I was sharing, I was like, this is the first time I really traded and prioritized like USDT contract, per, you know, perps versus, um, versus uh, BTC margin and where I'm actually yeah. outright shorting. But it, I, I definitely would. That's interesting. I, I, I really mi- try to make sure that I don't get too down that, get too far down that hole because it, it is one, it's a really dangerous market to short. Um, you know, it's yeah, a no, hundred ball plus market. It's, not for nothing like it's psychologically it's really hard to short this market too because there is a very romantic up only sort of long-term view that i think is valid with this market so it's it's kind of like you're always conflicted with that sort of subconsciously when you're taking a uh uh you know any kind of directional play um any kind of short right so my shorts are really short term um so much so that you know that i wouldn't really I mean, I've had a few significant swing shorts, mm-hmm. but I, I, again, those, I, the times that I've had ones that I've really held, they've really just protected my, they really just protected my portfolio as a hedge. Yeah. Um, and, and there, there, it was just a few times where I, I knew the market had a lot more to puke. And I honestly, at the bottom of the move, a lot of times I thought like, wow, you know, I, that ended up working out in my favor, but, um, I probably I probably held that beyond you know what I would normally reasonably hold a position beyond, and I and it was easy for me to do at the time, maybe for certain reasons. But I, I would find it very difficult right now to put on a short and say like, yeah, from a technical standpoint, we're in the middle of a gap and we have to go down to 14k or 15k. Like I just couldn't bring myself to do that. I I constantly pull myself out of shorts early, um, and I'm happy to because this market moves very quick. It moves very quick in both directions. Um, but it's, it's super reflexive to the upside, if not more. Yeah. Well, I can't say that cause that's probably not something I can really back up with evidence, but I, I just personally, I can't hold on to shorts for long in this market. I, I still am too much of a believer long-term. It kind of goes against my, yeah my underlying, uh, exposure. Right. Um, yeah, I do, so I, 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 to, to, to be fair, I, I, I obviously I've heard you talk about your, your long-term positioning. Um, but I wasn't aware that you, you, you traded against that as collateral i thought you were predominantly a, a usd um trader so you so you wouldn't be hedging as such you would actually be focusing on on a usd margin account as opposed to a btc margin account but that makes a bit more sense well a lot more sense actually well um, i was so d- sorry during the during the bull yeah, market no and it's like funny to say this because it's like you never really know but during the bull market when i feel like i I knew it was going to last for a long time. It was mm-hmm. easy for me to stay in in BTC margin perps, and I only really started trading USDT margin perps recently um, when I thought that maybe we were going to go through a period of sideways activity. And I just thought, and, and for me, it was like, why don't I try to make sure that I I don't always stay exposed because shit. I mean, we just hit sixty five, you know, sixty plus k. Like this is ridiculous. I've owned Bitcoin now from from four digits. Like I'd be an asshole to not sell some up here. And Absolutely, I am yeah. kind of, uh, I'm, a, I'm an optimist, but I'm, I try to be really rational about that, rational mm-hmm. about things. Um, w- what I will say is like, one thing you should know about markets is they are structurally favoring longs over shorts, no matter what. Like the first thing that, and this is like, I think this is a simple way of thinking, but this is probably a good way of thinking. The, the first thing that people do when they come to a market is they don't think to short it, right? The majority of people approach the market and they first 
they're trying to get long the market. And most people getting involved in crypto are getting indiscriminately long based on, it doesn't even matter where price is. That's why people just, you know, retail buys the highs constantly because they're just trying to ape in, they see it going up on CNBC. So markets are naturally long, right? Naturally long to the point where even if you have a short, you're, you're built in long at some point. Now, of course, if you're long, you're built in seller at some point, but it's different when the flows entering the market are one way, right? So just like when people were saying like Citadel was responsible or BlackRock was responsible for coming to this market and, and it's like, no, dude, they would never approach this market with that amount of money intending to play down, right? Yeah. Intending to short this market in some way. Um, so it's important to really understand the natural flows of, of markets are upward over time. That's yeah, why you, you pass, you pass your bids, aren't you, from the pension funds, et cetera, 401ks. Um, exactly. A massive part of things. Um, right. Which people typically underestimate. So, yeah, it is okay. Well, it's doable, but well, yeah, try not no, to do listen, too much of it. <laughs> I, I appreciate that really useful color. I'll uh, I'll dive off uh, and maybe dive back on with some more questions later if no one else is taking taking the limelight. But I'll uh, I'll let someone else hop in. So cheers as right, always. Buddy. Good talk. Take care. All right, digital. Let me get you on here. Hey, what's going on? Hey, digital, you just have to uh, unmute yourself. Still muted, buddy. Well, until he unmutes himself, I'll just say that I'm wearing my AirPods, the new Apple AirPods. I had the Sony WX's noise canceling. I've, I've had every nice pair of headphones that are over here. Now, was talking to Sim not too long ago about these, and he said the one drawback was they were not, they were winter headphones and they were abrasive. And I'm starting to realize that. I'm just sitting outside with them on my ears, and it feels like I'm, it's like you're rubbing up against a tough piece of nylon on a soft part of your body and just sitting out here in the heat. It's like, God, these things are, I mowed my lawn with them once on, and I didn't feel this, but I wouldn't be surprised if I have some kind of chaffing. All right, digital. I might have to get you back on here because uh, you're not unmuted. So the mute button's probably down on the lower right-hand corner of your screen if you're looking at an iPhone. But I'll, I'll give you another chance to hop back on here. Let me get Mike on here. Hey, what's up, Mike? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, hope you're well. I know I was on uh, yesterday, and I didn't want to take of course, up too up? much of your time. No problem. Um, so I know that you you talked Mac. I mean, you talk macro a lot. You know, obviously. The biggest thing here is if the Fed doesn't turn around, you know, the likelihood that, you know, crypto turns around um, and decorrelates from equities is pretty low. Um, I've, I'm, you know, I've been, I started out as a crypto guy. I'm, you know, I'm not crazy experienced with like understanding um, when I, how, how do I say this? To me, right, the, the way that Bitcoin, like the candles in crypto form is a little bit different than equities. And I kind of have been around enough to see kind of how um, bottoming formations, like capitulation formation form in the crypto space. You know, obviously you have the long wick, like the hammer wick with a lot of volume. To me, right, and I don't know if I, I'm mistaken on this, like if we're contingent on how equities move, I felt like it, Bitcoin, the way that the candle formed yesterday or whether it was yesterday or two days ago, it looked more like a bottoming formation 
But in equities, I didn't see, and again, I could be mistaken, but I didn't see like as long of a wick, similar to how we saw in the crypto space. In your opinion, like, did you, that signature that I was just mentioning, did you see that on like the NASDAQ and the S&P or was it kind of not enough for you? So I do, I, I do understand the difference you're talking about. Um, and yeah, you, I mean, these things, they tend to, to happen at bottoms. They don't have to happen, but it, it's likely it does, it does happen because, you know, capitulation is going to be really violent. Um, in equities, it's not necessarily the case that they always result in that kind of, kind of explosive move off the bottom. Um, I would say, though, in the way that equities are moving now, I would expect more of an explosive move because there are so that kind of explosive move is happens because like spreads blow out and things really thin out. Normally, the equities market is and I can't say normally, but in outside of the last, I guess, couple months, I know it's probably a little bit more than that, but I think it's less than a year that the top of the book liquidity in, in the S&P has really dried up. Um, quite extreme. So markets are really thin right now. And that's for a bunch of reasons. Like liquid, because we're in this sort of, um, uh, sorry, that was, I don't know if you guys heard, I'm throwing a ball with my dog right now. But okay. because we're in this this uh, Fed watching environment, there's a lot of liquidity providers that sort of pulled out um, of the index. You know, CTA positioning is, is extremely low um, and now is behind, Not is certainly not a buyer. So things are much thinner. So in in this kind of environment, I would expect equities to have that kind of bottom. So while I think that like Bitcoin does have this sort of technical signature of the beginning of a bottom, I, I, it could do this a couple more times lower if equities continue to move lower, right? So I, I don't think that we're in a position where like if Bitcoin bottomed and equities just have to catch up to it and, and you know, the crypto buyers or traders are smarter than, you know, the people that are hanging on Powell's every word. Um, but what I will say is like, you know, it's a candle is a, is four data points, right? It's, it only tells you so much. Um, so yeah, it tends to look, a it tends to have a certain look whenever, and again, this is like based on Bitcoin is a limited sample size, right? So based on Bitcoin's limited history, even though, you know, it's, it's, it's 10, it has been that way the entire time, which is, con, it's, it's consistent. Um, it, it looks like a good one. Right? It's the beginnings of a good one, but if you look back in like, if you look back of uh, back to May 2021, so it uh, swept the lows. It swept the lows. It down. Yeah, yeah. It, it swept the lows, and then yeah, that's that was actually my exact like, that was why I asked the question. Um, yeah. So so the thing of oh sorry go on yes the, no no go on go on sorry. The only time when you could really have a V-shaped reversal where it does what it does now and continues up is on the back of like some kind of catalyst. So we don't have that right now. It's a it's it's a catalystless environment unless it's unless we have that announcement where the Fed comes out and they say they're gonna you know hike a little bit less or the you know uh, 50 basis points off the table and we don't have that right now. So we don't have anything to really give us a massive spring. Um, and without that, you know, you expect the kind of bottom to form that is kind of gradual and it gives you multiple. I, I think that this bottom, let's say it is, it's the bottom right now. Um, it's forming, right? So there's going to be multiple, multiple efforts towards lows, absent a catalyst, right? So as long as they continue to go through with rate hikes and we haven't even seen quantitative tightening yet, where the balance sheet unlined, 
as long as that continues to happen, it, you know, the concept has been that the market is efficient and, and price things in. Well, it hasn't, right? I, I'm, in, I'm in like some pretty high-level chats uh, where everyone has been kind of still banging their head against the concept that the Fed is just, it's don't fight the Fed now, but it's just in the opposite direction, right? It's, it's that simple. I mean, they're the biggest buyer and now they're the biggest seller. Um, so absent that happening, Bitcoin will probably have two, three, four pokes at the lows. You're never going to like get, it doesn't give you an easy time, right? Um, and once it starts moving, you know, halfway back to the, the current low, you know, it starts moving much quicker because at that point, like people are going to be get, wanting to get out with some kind of profit, right? You're going to have pickups of stops begin to accelerate. You're going to have panic selling again. And you do this a couple times, right? It's very unlikely that, you know, it's it's one kind of signature, candlestick signature, and then it just continues up. It's more than likely you get a bunch of these similar to like May of, you know, May, June of last year. Or of a, or it almost sounded like you were describing like 2018, where there was more of an accumulation for like three months. And I think there were actually, like you were saying, I think there were a couple times where you poked at the lows as well there. Um, yes. Yeah. And that was, so if I, if, Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no, go on, go on. That is, that's probably closer to what we do have, honestly. So it's, it's super easy to do this because everyone's a, a lot. Most people in crypto are focused on the chart. So the first, first thing you do when you're trying to like figure out where you are is like, you go back because it's so brief. People don't do this really in the S&P as much because there's a lot more history. But it's so easy to look back and try to find something that looks somewhat similar because it's so close, right? It's only like it's only been around for just over a decade. So you immediately look at other bottoms and you start getting this idea of, you know, it should look a little bit like this. It, it makes sense that things are going to look different moving forward. But I think the behavior is probably the same because 2018 was the last time where there was a, you know, uh, a Fed mistake, essentially. Right, where the Fed actually had a negative impact on the market, um, and that was a period where you, you know, you had a significant drop by BTC. It led equities um, as risk assets are going to be the first things to risk off, and then it went through a, a period of high, you know, big drop, volatility, and then the volatility worked out and it slowly grinded back up. But it took a, it took a long time. Not, I mean, not really that long. Like people are getting hung up like this thing's going to take forever. Like a year's Three not that months. long, honestly. Yeah, I mean, three months, that's not that long. Um, right. What happened is, though, like, remember, if, I don't know if you remember, it had one strong move up to the high that was completely nuked down. And then the move that followed back to the highs before the final squeeze was really low volatility. Like this kind of really gradual, you know, 10% incline or, or 10 degree incline that was boring as hell for a really long period. Sort of like how it ended in 2018 before it dropped. Um, and that was, yeah, that was kind of like your prototypical longer accumulation zone that led to markup. So I, I don't think we get May exactly. I think what we, when I say we, we have something similar to May, it's like the first big, big drop in May led to a really big bounce, but that's just mean version, right? And then we, we, there was effort towards the lows multiple times after that. I remember that. Yeah. And then 2018, I think it was. If it put it this way, if it's like 2018, that would be the greatest gift of all time because that gives you a little bit of time to buy the the bottom. Um, and then I guess my my second question, and I, I wasn't going to ask this, but there isn't anyone anyone else calling. I mean, I'm, and I know that we, we talked about this yesterday. Like Twitter, you know, you get 99 percent of people whose opinions really shouldn't matter. I mean, I know Bitcoin's never traded in like below like let's just say we have we follow the four-year cycle theory like it's never traded you know below a previous all-time high 
again, not financial advice, just interested to hear your opinion. Are you, I mean, do you, I mean, could you even see us going under 20 K if, you know, the fed keeps persisting with like, you know, their policies or, I mean, I mean, I was in the impression that it would have to get bid. Nothing's for certain, obviously, but I, what are your thoughts, I guess, on like that possibility? Yeah, I mean, listen, if if equities continue to sell off, Bitcoin's not going to hold up. You're always going to get like a two to three X at a minimum of what equities are doing to the downside with BTC. Um, people say, you know, Bitcoin's the first off, you know, and I've said this before, Bitcoin will bounce first. But it's really important to distinguish what that means. It doesn't mean Bitcoin bounces first while equity is moving down. It means Bitcoin bounces first more than likely out of a longer-term accumulation zone while the S&P is more or less doing the same. Um, so it's not going to leave and do its own thing without equities doing something somewhat similar or at least you know setting up for that. Uh, so if equities continue to move down, then yeah, absolutely. Like It doesn't make sense to hang on to too many things that happened in the past too strictly because a lot of the people you get this stuff from are people that have no experience in markets and they fall back on these really simple, you know, TA concepts and they are finding patterns really easily because we have, again, such a brief sample size. It's really easy to see things that look very similar. You know, it's the kind of the concept of like, um, and this doesn't go back into all time high, but looking at any kind of past data, um, I was going to go into the concept of like seeing patterns in a op- op- or periodolia, but I, I, not quite the same because we're talking about breaking a previous all-time high. What I would say is don't expect things to continue exactly as they did because, one, it's a really young asset class. Like, if anything, you expect that over time, you know, things will change, right? For one, I've said that, like, historical data and, and back tests that you do are kind of not relevant post-March 2020 because after that you had a completely different – sort of depth of participants that entered the market. So them being in the market now, more TradFi firms, more, you know, legacy types, they change the way that the market works. Their their impact and their entrance changes the market permanently. So you can't really look at even low time frame price data the same because it's really distorted. And you also can't expect things to happen the same way they did because when they were happening in the past, it was completely retail driven. So it's a very like purely technical asset you know, very behavioral driven, even though markets are all behavioral driven, but you didn't have the same kind of flows that you could probably expect moving forward that are prevalent in equities and, and legacy markets. So I wouldn't like anchor myself to what has happened in the past too much. I would expect that if anything, patterns that existed in the past would actually tend to break in the future, right? Um, you know, there are certain things you might expect should continue if they've been the norm, but just kind of like all-time high, you know, a rule about the all-time high seems kind of silly because there's only been so many all-time highs that we've had. Um, and it makes sense to expect that over time, like an asset's going to, it's risk adjusted returns are going to decrease. It's, it's going to kind of taper off as it moves up. So you'd expect over time that, yeah, at some point we'd come in contact with a prior all-time high. And it's not that significant of a level to begin with. Like from a volume standpoint, it's not like really much took place up there. Um, it's a purely psychological standpoint. I mean, it's a pure, excuse me, it's a purely psychological level. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, if, if equities continue down, it's going to break, right? There's no reason yeah. why it wouldn't. Um, if they don't and they mellow out, then it works out that it doesn't, right? It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't make sense to try to think that far in advance because it's kind of like, we know who is, we know who's rocking the boat right now and it's, it's legacy markets. Um, and it's really, we're at their whim, right? Yeah. 
No, that's exactly that's exactly what I needed to hear. Um, yeah, it's that, that's what makes it so much trickier, you know, because I feel like even God, like even I mean, no, nah, I guess you're right. I was gonna say even after the 2020 COVID dump, like you could kind of follow the TA because you know we we consolidated at 10K, which was kind of a it seemed like a significant level, but yeah, I mean, we're just gonna have to see what happens, you know. I mean, listen, if there's a market that responds to levels, it's crypto because it is it is very retail driven still. So and and in crypto, there's no I mean, there's more fundamentals arguments for fundamentals now, even though we see that didn't really work out too well. There's a whole bunch of people that came into this market recently and approached it with a very fundamental approach. It's still a technically driven market because price is value, right? It's super reflexive um, because price is value, right? The higher prices beget more confidence and they beget higher prices, right? Whereas lower prices, they beget more, you know, pessimism and they create lower prices. It's super reflexive because of that. So uh, since prices are, in a sense, value, it, it, it does make it a very technically driven market. It does make these levels very important, these price levels. But it's more of like not exactly the specific line on the chart where, you know, uh, one significant level was over time, like an all-time high. It's more like, okay, where did people do the most business, right? Where did they, where, where did they do battle the most? Because clearly that level that was fought over is going to, it's, it's, it's more than likely to be significant moving forward than a level that's kind of like, oh, this was a level that occurred because on the blow off top, market was so thin and spreads blew out so much that it literally just hit it because it hit it, right? It, it thinned yeah. out so much that that's where the book went, right? It, it wasn't a level that was really like, contested over for a period of time where if we lost it it's like okay all the, and this is like the basis of a lot of my short-term trading it's like okay a bunch of people just got involved here someone's got to make a decision now that we're on one side of it or the other right someone's going to puke it's either going to be longs or shorts and it's going to help the move all-time high is like it happened because of liquidity at that point it's not something that was really fought over got it so literally in in reality the next significant level and this isn't even like fudding it's just like pure ta the next real significant level if we break below these levels is like 10 K that totally. Anyway. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Fair 10 enough. to 14 K that rough area, you know, we were, that was, you look at the chart. That's like, it stands out. Right. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's funny you're saying that. Cause I have a friend, he's, you know, I think I might've mentioned this on the call. He's CFA bear. Super bearish. <laughs> bear, he's the bear. Right. I told you about it, I, that. I think yesterday I might have not, but he's been like, Oh, like Bitcoin's going to 10 or 12 K and like nobody has a crystal ball, obviously, but he was like, no, the TA keeps saying that. And I'm like, well, I thought that the TA, because 20K was at macro all time. <laughs> I, that was the, the, the significant level. And I'm just like, damn, he was, he was right, obviously. Not saying that we're going to go there, but that's Listen, the, that would be the level to, to watch. The TA works in hindsight. The TA is descriptive, though. It's not prescriptive, right? It's like there are certain supply and demand zones. There are, the levels that are important are levels based on activity. TA, it's, it's like, okay, that doesn't mean that we, like, things can change based on someone coming into the market at any point and deciding that they want to buy $5 billion worth of Bitcoin. That's like, well, throw your, you know, fucking TA out the window. So, yeah, I, I mean, your, your friend ends up being right, but, you know, I don't, I think that there are different things at play right now um, than just the TA. Yeah. Um, again, I, I feel horrible because I, I feel like every time I call, I'm like, I, I end up getting a bulk of the time and I don't want to, um, 
I don't no, don't worry about it. Going. If someone wants to call in, they they could go into the lobby and I'll see. All right. So this is a, a completely off record, uh, you know, question. But like when you were starting out as a trader, right? Um, like it, it sounded like you worked at some sort. I mean, and I'm just speculating. It sounded like you worked like in you know. I know you said you worked in traditional finance. Did you have like your mentor, right? When he when you were you know out of college or whenever you started trading, like. What was the first thing that like he had you do? Like, was it reading trading books? Was it just literally shadowing him? Like, I guess if you're an individual, right. And I'm just going to, I'll leave it vague who, you know, has a pretty good job who is trying to, you know, has been able to get good entries and exits, but not in like a sophisticated manner where I'm like using perps or options or anything like that, but is trying to ultimately at like some point get to the point where, you know, I'm able to, you know, obviously not have my job and be a full-time trader, I guess, do you recommend any sort of, and by the way, this has helped a ton. I think I messaged you on telegram and, you know, it was like, you know, is there any sort of like, um, like group or anything along those lines that offers, you know, you know, I guess like just a starting point, right? This is huge. Again, thank you for this, but oh, I guess no if, so, if, if you're like someone like me, you know, how would you approach that, you know, just jump into, you know, actual trading? So, I mean, ultimately, so I had a very diverse background. Like I've done a bunch of different things. Uh, I got into my lower time frame trading because it suited me, like my more intraday stuff because it suited me. My, I did have a couple mentors. Uh, my more recent mentor, who was a, a big part of my life in the last, I'd say, five, six, maybe six or seven years. I can't think. I'm, I don't want to dox my age, but I'm trying to put an exact time around it because it was around a big birthday of mine that I met him. Um, he was a he was an independent trader. He was outside of. He was outside of legacy finance at that point. He was an independent trader. Uh, you have to find something that really works for your style. Uh, what I think everyone should start with, and this is what he um, he really drilled. And, and my grandfather was a he was a commodities guy. Also, I, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but he was a big lumber guy. So lumber market specifically. What I first started doing was to just learn from. This is going to sound sort of cliche, but learn from the greats, and not like. You know, I have a couple people that I really admired, but the people that I started trying to, I guess, learn from or emulate the most, and the people that my mentors sort of pointed me to, were Druckenmiller and Soros. So, you know, go figure, they both were part of the same fund at some at one point. But they offer, I think, sort of the best holistic, you know, total 360-degree view uh, and approach to markets with understanding of markets and human behavior um, you know, a little bit of macro, they both have their specific approaches, but I started by really getting passionate about learning more and getting more involved and getting more aggressive rather because of, of their, of, of Soros's books in particular, um, and, and just trying to follow and sort of be like Druckenmiller as much as possible. The one thing that I always reckon it, and I, I said, it's going to sound silly. Like I want to be like Druckenmiller. But the one thing that always resonated with me was I was a technical guy. And if you're a technical based trader, um, and at the time when I was managing other people's money, if you're a technical based trader, it's, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's not scoffed at, but it's, there's a little bit more of a stigma around technical guys than people that might get more into fundamentals or, or get more into, um, into the book side, not the book side, but let's say balance sheet side of things. Um, 
there's a more of a stigma around around technical guys. Whereas people like Druckenmiller, while they understood sort of what takes place under the hood in their markets, he had a really strong lean on technicals. Right. The first thing that people want to do is actually look at the chart when they when they hear about something, whether they're going to invest in it or trade it. The first thing that people do, the first thing that people do is they look at a chart. Right. That's the first way that people usually view something. Um, so those are people that, you know, my original mentors and I probably had like I've had three. Um, one of them was, a, again, more recently was I mean, my, my grandfather was always my mentor, but one of them more recently was a private trader who was already out of Wall Street and heard, had already wa- worked at a desk. Uh, but the two people before that were actually, you know, there were a couple that worked um, on the CME floor together. So a husband and wife. And they were like in their, they, at this point, they were like in their 60s. But it, it was learned from the greats, honestly. Um, do as much studying and academic work as possible. And then you're going to ultimately find your way and your, and your place in markets with what is most comfortable with you. Uh, and and the, all of the learning that takes place is not is honestly going to be when you are observing the actual market, right? When you're actually, if you're like a low time frame trader, people want to know, you know, the, and this is just relevant to me. Um, people always want to know. Well, I, I want to know like the best resources, the you know the tools that you use. You know, how did you get to where you are? And there's a lot of things on the way. Again, I said a, a very diverse background. Uh, I didn't, you know, I, I started in markets with a very passive approach more of like an indexing trend following. And when I say I had a diverse background, I, I mean, I had a, a pass, I had a more of a, a trend following approach to markets than any kind of uh, mid to, to higher frequency approach that I have now. But the, the, the thing that I get, I have to tell people is like, all right, you want to sort of trade like me? Well, you know, you could read this book, you could, you know, uh, read whatever Soros or Druckenmiller in the case that I'm telling you, um, you know, you could learn about market profile, learn this about order flow, but then all of it, honestly, all of it comes down to actually observing the market, right. And observing how the market moves based on the lens that you're looking through. Right. So for me, it's, you know, I'm using combination of order flow and I'm predominantly an order flow trader, but I use things like market profile to organize the data for me, right. So to organize things and give me some context. Uh, but then it comes down to literally just the hours of screen time and not hours of just sitting there without intention, but actually having arriving to a desk every day with a purpose, you know, you're journaling, you're writing down your, your, your mistakes for the day, the things you noticed, how you went into the day. And these are things that I don't do as much. I guess I don't do them as thoroughly as I used to do them because you, know, you kind of get a, you develop more of a feel, more of a style and you're less kind of rigid. Um, at least I am now. I, I know that that's kind of shared amongst a lot of other traders as well that have at least been doing this for a long time. Um, but it's, it's, it's actually getting into the shit and actually trading every day and, and, and observing the market every day. And, and that's really what it comes down to screen time. Um, that's the best thing I could say. Like you have to find what's comfortable with, for you. I, from my mentors, they put me in a direction, but like, if I tell people that, like I tell people like, Oh, my, my role models and people I tried to emulate were George Soros and Druckenmiller. It's like, well, I mean, that doesn't really translate too much to how I trade now, but it actually has given me a certain perspective and color that I think that I still approach the market with on like a high time frame. Um, so, I mean, hopefully that wasn't too long winded, but no, that was literally, that was perfect. It sounds like, I mean, you, it sounds like you're just, you're macro first, you know, obviously you've reiterated, you know, follow the fed, follow the fed. And usually given what they're doing, it plays out in the charts. That's, it sounds like the short winded answer of it. Well, so 
just to reiterate though, I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't say I'm, so I'm, it's funny cause I'm not really too focused on the macro ever. I'm only paying attention to the macro right now when it's as explicit as it is, right? Where you have, you're, because you're either in, so normally it's just, you're either in an accommodative, you know, you're in an accommodative fed environment or you're not, right? And this one is not accommodative. So it is sort of the, the talk of the day every day for the last, for the last, you know, couple of months or more than a couple of months. So it has been front and center. It has been like the interesting thing to talk about. But to be honest, my my decisions in my trading, they don't my in my trading, my day to day trading, they don't really ever involve the macro. Like it's always important that I know what context I'm in. But for ninety percent of my trades, like they actually don't. I don't think about what the Fed's doing because really, what the Fed is doing really just affects my longer term. If I'm taking longer term positions, and for me, what that means is. I don't take longer term positions right now. You know, I'm not like, I'm not trying to consistently, you know, there's a couple of people that are on Twitter that just like are constantly, they're like, you know, buy, you know, you got to buy this dip. We're going to the all time high in the next month. And it's like, well, no, we're fucking not. If you, if you think we're going to the all time high, that means that the S and P has got to do the same thing. And that's not happening. And it doesn't seem like that's happening anytime soon. So why would you expect that somehow, you know, crypto is going to behave idiosyncratically when it's really, uh, you know, a systematic issue right now and everything is correlated. So I don't necessarily, you know, I, I, it's important to understand context and that's where macro comes in. And that's always been something I've been fascinated by. But to be honest, when it comes to my actual trading, it's, hey, where did this, where did this person just get off sides, right? You know, whether it's a, a, a large pickup in participation and activity that's on Binance or Bybit. And that stuff really doesn't take into account what's taking place, you know, with what Powell's saying. That's so zoomed in that, you know, I, 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 you need to know what's taking place in the environment, what kind of environment you're in, right? That might dictate your positioning, you know, rather your position sizing, the amount of risk you're taking, the expectations for follow through, right? But at the end of the day, like it's, it's not really dictating my, the edges that I still have in the market. Does that make sense? It a hundred percent like, that literally was probably every question I would have asked for the next, you know, three sessions <laughs> into, into one. So I, uh, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, no, thanks for everything as always. I mean, this is, I don't think there's any other person who's as vocal on crypto Twitter. You know, I, I mean, the fact that you're just giving your time like this is huge. I actually got one of my friends on here because this is just extremely helpful. So again, awesome, I appreciate Mike. it Thank a lot. You. Likewise, buddy. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah, you as well. All right. Does anyone else want to hop on? We are around an hour. It's kind of hot outside. It's kind of hot and kind of humid. Posted a picture on Twitter. I took last night. It was so, I mean, I am always like, I'm, I, I, since I was a kid, I was obsessed with the water and there's a different sunset like every other day here. And yesterday there was this beautiful sunset and the sunsets right over the back of our property. Um, and as that was happening, this like cold front came through and the entire, I mean, the picture doesn't really do justice to it because it's weird. Sometimes like I'll step outside at night too. And it will be beautiful, like starry night and the, the moon will be reflecting off the water. And it sounds super corny. And it's like, all right, dude, shut up. Um, and I'll go to take a picture and I'm thinking, well, it looks one way in my head and I take the fucking picture and it's not nearly as nice and go figure, you know, your eye has like 128 megapixels or whatever it is, or that's what it would be equivalent to. Um, but I, I took a picture last night and it didn't look like it at all. What it looked like in reality was 
it sort of looked like, you know, you anyone watched Silent Hill back in the day, you know, when the, that, that town or wherever she is, and there's all that dense fog and it just rolls through. That's what it looked like last night. And then the light was coming through it. And I was, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know what? Um, I just really, I think yesterday, and this sounds silly, but with everything that happened, uh, every time something big happens in crypto, I kind of like go into crisis mode. Um, and it's, it's sort of like going through the motions of potentially going through crisis mode. Like you make sure that you have everything you need. You, you know, you check all your exchanges, you set yourself up just in case, you know, you need to do something really quick. It's just kind of like this, um, framework I've always tried to, uh, to have, or, or rather this, you know, plan one, it's, it's always important to have a plan, right? Cause otherwise if you don't plan something and rehearse it, uh, the expectation that you'll be able to do it in, you know, in, in time, you know, in the fight kind of thing is, uh, it's, it's, it's probably next to impossible that it would result as it would result in your head. So it's always important to go through the motions and kind of create like a little bit of muscle memory or as they say, nervous system reacquisition. But I was thinking about what happened with Luna and I, I, you know, I'm a large account, so I get all of these messages um, and it's, it's terrible and it, you know, can't help everybody, but you want to. And uh, it just made me grateful. Right. Um, And, you know, it, I guess at this point in my life, you know, I, I remember being in certain places and I mess, I got into this on my YouTube, like, because a lot of people were, you know, they're down and, and they're beat up and, and you don't realize that you do actually have a choice, right? If you're not dead, you actually do have a choice, right? The, you, ha- you can get up again. If you don't have legs, you get up a different way. But the point is like it, everything eventually actually does come down to you making the decision. You know, everything you look at in reality came from someone, you know, came from someone's mind so and all of the things you've done in your in your life came from they began from a decision uh, and now people will get into the argument whether or not you're in control of those decisions you know they do the experiment where you're forced to pick a you know color that you like and you see that actually that your brain picked it before you actually registered that you did but they all start with a decision right and and, and i think that you know no matter where you are in life like as long as you don't give up, it's going to sound cliche and dumb, but cliches are, they're cliches because they're the things that are most repeated through time, right? They're sort of like these universal truths. Um, and we get so tired of hearing them. And it's like, why, when you're younger, your parents tell you one thing, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then when you reach my age, you're like, holy shit, that was right. That was like, that was fucking, that was gospel. Why didn't I listen to that? Well, it's like, well, it sounded, you received it so often you discounted the value of it, right? It's a basic supply and demand concept. So, uh, you know, you get all these messages about, people going through troubles and and sometimes it's nice to offer perspective and um, my life I, hasn't been totally uh rosy like i went through a, a couple trials i will say in my life and probably get into some detail further down the line it'll be for interesting you know uh, candlelight fire lit story but every it doesn't matter like everyone has them and if you think someone doesn't then you're you're wrong they're just doing a good job of hiding it but it's really important i think to tell people that you've been through shit and not just to say it and like, uh, I've been through that too. Cause you don't want to say that when someone's suffering, you don't want to say like, you don't want to bring it to yourself immediately. Like, Oh, you're so, Oh, I was too. Yeah. I remember that when that, you just, you have to be a shoulder for somebody and, and offer some kind of, you know, s- some kind of, uh, anything, but again, not being selfish and taking it back to yourself. But, you know, I think what I've learned in my life more valuable than anything is that like everything that I thought was huge, right? You know, concept I went over yesterday, how do you eat an elephant? It sounds, it sounds impossible, but you eat it one bite at a time. Everything that I thought was huge was way bigger in my head at that moment. Um, and, and as soon as I got past it, I re- you realize 
how capable you actually are. Um, now, people come from all different walks of life and there are different standings. And some people, yes, are they start off on third base versus starting off on first base. But I really firmly believe that everyone has multiple trials in their life. And, and you have to kind of be the hero of your own story and you have to pick yourself up constantly because you never know, you know whether you're at your last trial before you're getting to where you want or whether you have a couple more. But what you can guarantee is you'll never get to your goal and you'll never build yourself back up and you'll never, you know, I don't want to say make it because people throw that term around too much. It's kind of like, it's kind of a shitty term to say people don't make it or they do, but you'll never accomplish the things you want to accomplish if you give up. Right. Um, so anyway, not to get like sappy or anything, but I, I try to always be grateful for the things that I have. I try to make sure that I'm not like on this hedonic treadmill where I always want more, but you do need that because you need, you know, people work well with a carrot versus a stick. So it's good to have incentives and things to push you forward and pull you forward. But, um, yeah, so not to turn this into, you know, motivational talk, but sometimes it's necessary. And if people honestly, if like, that's what picks you up and makes you do well is watching motivational videos. Like I was there in my life at one point, trust me, like I, you know, I've been there, I've been in, in shit. I got out of it. I realized, you realize how strong you are as a person. You know, I went through periods like where my, one of my best friends, I was there with when he, when he died, he was my lifelong best friend, childhood best friend. I got to be with him in his last moments. And that was a really big part of my life. That was just one thing that was really shitty, right? And in that moment, everything's the, it's the worst. But at some point you get past it and you realize like it was, it made you who you were today, right? Like you would never give up that. You might want to have certain moments back or to, to relieve the pain in those moments. But I promise you when you get past that, you never look back at that and think at, of those moments with any regret. You just look at them and you say, you know, Thank you. I'm so happy that they happened because the future's path determined and without them, I would have never been knocked in the right direction. So, damn, that was like, I go on for like 12 minutes about that or eight minutes about that. Hope it wasn't too much, but sometimes these things are necessary. All right. Does anyone else want to hop on? Because I think Oprah is done. <laughs> Oprah or, or Dr. Phil. Daniel, what's up, man? Let me get you back on here. Hey. Yeah, they were uh, they were some good words, nice words, tearing up over it. <laughs> but no, they were uh, they were good words, man. Um, and one 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 more question. I'll keep this quick because we've talking off of your time. I think uh, it's, it's Friday. Everyone wants to get off probably. Um, but yeah, what, what, one one more question. Thanks for that. Um, footprint charts. I know you, you you cover them in your course in in reasonable depth in in a video, uh, and it's really useful. One thing I struggle with is to apply them in real time. You know, the, in, in hindsight, everything's so obvious, particularly with them footprint charts, I find. So I was just wondering how, in, in your trades that you take, how much bearing does the footprint chart have? Uh, and would you say that that's become increasingly less or more over time with, you know, certain exchanges becoming a, a wider percentage of volume, uh, sorry, a greater percentage of volume? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely, uh, I'll say this because it bears repeating uh, when it comes to like the way that I prioritize things I said in the past, I'll say it again, like footprints are very good tool, but it's not the make or break of It's not the make or break for any kind of setup or, or trade mm. that I take. It's sort of like the cherry on top, like, and it really needs to be, you know, it, it, it all depends on the actual flow, right? If we're in like a, a market that's moving quickly and it has a good amount of energy behind it, 
um, and the rotations are good on the low time frame, then yeah, the footprint chart is really valuable, right? It, it, you know, you get a feel for sort sort of based on like a certain periodicity or rotation size. If you're looking at like a one minute chart, a three, a five, or or a trend reversal chart, you get an idea for the amount of volume that is taking to move price from point A to point B and sort of what the norms are. And and when you have a, a, br- a breach of a level or what looks like a breakout or a breakdown and you see that there's abnormal volume, you know, there's abnormal aggressiveness that's unrewarded, then it's like, okay, this is, this stands out, you know, this is something I could get behind and lean on the other side of mm-hmm. um, the good for, you know, if you see continued change, right, in those norms for picking up on momentum. But it is like it's it's something that can get a little noisy if you if you try to add it to every trade of yours. If anything, it's like I said, it's it's not something that makes or breaks any individual trade. What I want to notice on the footprint, if I'm swing trading, I'm looking at like a 15 minute footprint. If I'm mm-hmm. scalping lower time frames, I'm looking at a probably not even a time based periodicity. It's probably like a trend reversal or a volume based footprint, like right. each candles either by range or by volume. Um, and then it's it's purely based on really crazy imbalances, like where cases are, you know, it's it's difficult to argue that it would be the higher the low. And if you weren't looking at the footprint, you would be looking for that setup anyway. But when you see the footprint, it's like, OK, we just had a really big imbalance of, you know, let's say it's a multiple of, of the multiples of like five to ten of what normally the bid ask would be. And one mm-hmm. side is completely, you know, cases where one side is completely empty and it's more of like a stop run at a higher level, well, then the footprint makes it kind of, it makes it really obvious that that activity took place versus like, if you're looking at a, just a candle, you'll see a wick, but you're like, ah, I don't know if like, if anyone really got Who's caught that? there, yeah. you know, I don't great, know if there's... anyone really got stopped out, but if you look yeah. at the footprint, it's like, oh yeah, that was a stop out for sure. Right. Or, oh yeah, you know, a ton of open, you know, we just had a big pocket of open interest coming to that level. And, and yeah, definitely buyers just bought the high and it, it really is. It, it comes down to knowing kind of what to expect because then you have, you have perspective, right? If, if, if you're looking at a footprint and you know, it's, it's a 1 million buyer, 2 million buyer at the high or, or a seller through the low, it's like, well, that's kind of normal. That's not that. Yeah. yeah price got past them, but that's not that big of a deal. But if you see on like finance or FTX that it's like 25 million or, you know, 50 million offsides, or Bybit was like, for a long time, Bybit, it was like probably one trader. It was like they'd buy seven to 10 million contracts or buy or sell. So sell the breakdown or buy the breakout in the worst possible location. And it's like, oh, this person, not only are you looking at a footprint, but it's kind of like it's leaving their footprint, right? Mm-hmm. So there, and you have to think about it like this. When a market is ranging and it's also when it's PVP, so if there's underlying momentum, you don't want to try to do this too much because sometimes that's just the beginning of momentum, right? That can last. But when it's like a PVP environment and someone is coming in with size, you don't really see that that, go, that goes unpunished. Because like I said, if, if, it's an, if it's BTC or if it's an altcoin, the market makers, I've said this before, not during this. Yeah, uh, you have. They, they want to kind of, pre- the market kind of makers, press, don't they? Yeah, and they know what to, they know what their impact is, right? So it's kind of like you they know what the pond normally looks like and you see when someone enters it because it leaves a ripple, right? So when when they're just kind of making markets amongst themselves and and it's 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 more of a PVP driven environment and also it's kind of like volume falls within what is expected. When something comes in that's unexpected, it stands out like a sore thumb, right? And everyone sees it also who's not even a market maker. 
any kind of adversarial trader sees it because the open interest, if it's significant, will go, you know, it'll go from no real change over time to there'll be a really, you know, the velocity of open interest at that point will will change massively. Um, and then it's like, okay, that stands out. Uh, if the market doesn't have any momentum, hey, let's push the market against this person and see if we can get them to puke. Yeah. So, and I know a lot of traders that are, that's like, that's, and that's like in, in, in the past, in, in situations where, and I haven't been this oriented lately, but towards this rather, that was like a big part of my trading on Bybit for a while was seeing, okay, this is the person that I just have to lean on him or lean on them, lean on their position, meaning take the opposite position against him because a lot of people are going to be doing the same and we're going to squeeze this person. And it's like a level of cannibalism in the market, right? But that's markets in general. But mm. with the footprint, it makes it clear, right? It's not a requisite for a trade, but it is something that can sort of add a, maybe it's a thing that makes you add a little bit more size when you, I mean, it can clearly be the thing that adds you, adds more confidence, if anything, which could lead to you taking more risk and adding more size or, you know, just being more confident in the position overall. So... Yeah, no, good. Cheers, good answer. I think the key for me there that I took away was um, on on a shorter time frame. Um, you, you're doing it on a volume base, not not like a, a five minute footprint. Because the other day, for for example, um, I was using Binance on the footprint, looking at Binance's footprint uh, on a fifteen minute period you know there was like over a billion dollars of volume in 50 minutes yeah. and i was like what you know what are you even looking at there i was like i've given up right. with this because it just well so it, I, just lost. The thing. <laughs> this is the thing that sucks about you know crypto is great that it's awesome that there's a bunch of exchanges but it does make order flow trading more complicated there are some uh, there are some platform like sierra chart you could customize way more like on sierra charts i, th- I think they might have binance integration now you could just have a footprint where you only filter for the, you know, when you know what the normal size is of rotation, if you're looking at a 15 minute candle and you know that, you know, it's, it's going to be hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, of BTC traded. Mm. You could filter for only showing the imbalances where it's, Oh, I only want to see imbalances where the bid ask is like 10 times as much on one side over the other. And then you won't see any of the other volume on the footprint besides that one volume that comes in that breaks that threshold which makes it a lot easier because otherwise it, the thing that I hated about looking at Binance footprints is like, well, fuck man. Like you go from looking at <laughs> Bybit footprint and you know who stands out, but then you look at Binance and it's like, well, what is weird here? Well, what rather, what constitutes abnormal volume? Because everything is much larger than any other exchange. Um, yeah. So it does become tricky. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, that the key takeaway, as I say there, um, which is really useful is, um, that a, you use 